Hello, and welcome to Killers Quarterly, a special edition episode of Cracked Sisters Conspiracies. While we generally talk about conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all over spooky shit, we will be changing it up and talking about something different today, serial killers. My name is Jackie. And I'm Cassandra. And we are Set Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) I almost forgot my name. (laughs) The the big old name in parentheses in the intro. That really. And I am currently reeling from my toe throbbing my different toe if you listen to the last episode it's a different toe that's true two toe traumas in one week that is that's a lot totacular totacular yes so we have officially made it to 25 episodes so when did we start recording was it like march yes that was the longest version of march i've ever heard in my life but yeah well i was i was thinking so it's been almost probably six months since we've been doing this yeah okay yeah so we started with a bi-weekly yeah every other week we're doing posts now we're on a weekly basis so we have rapidly gotten to 25 which Mm -hmm. is actually very exciting yeah and so as you alluded to in the end of our last episode for all of our milestone quarterly episodes going forward we are going to be changing up the topic and doing something a little bit different correct correct so with that said give us a little more information on how these particular episodes will play out so we'll do our cool new intro that you just listened to (laughs) so cool it's so cool i also met the music which i created and then basically we're both going to share a story instead of just one of us covering one story. We're both going to share a story and we're going to be covering different serial killers. Yeah. So these episodes will be extra long mm-hmm. because there are two presenta- presentations <laughs> um, <laughs> two presentations happening to really capitalize on, on that time. Yeah. Okay, so one thing I do want to say before we get into these kinds of episodes, Uh we probably should do like a trigger warning, graphic, content, depictions, nature of that sort. So if this is not your normal jam and you prefer our other content, you might want to skip over these episodes Mm -hmm. because... We are talking about murder and serial killers. And as lighthearted as we do get sometimes in the fact that we both have a serial killer fascination, we are in no way trying to minimize the actual effects that this has had on people, the trauma that this has caused, and we don't all impact. Yeah, we don't want to glorify glorify them. It's more of a learning point, and everyone has a fascination with it. It just is the way that our our brains work. So we're just here for the facts. It's quite literally a morbid interest. Yeah. And that's okay. It is okay. And I mean, I don't know about you, but it started far too young for me. So like, this is probably like a trauma response from youth or <laughs> trauma something. Bonding. But yeah. So if that's not something you're into, that's fine. Just skip to the, the 26th episode. Which will be definitely more digestible in nature. Yes. Okay. So with that... Who you're gonna start the, the yeah. first? So this was kind of suggested to me by Ashley, whom I mentioned for in the Marilyn Monroe episode. Right. She's my hairstylist. Yes. She was doing my hair and she asked me if I had heard about the new serial killer that was just found in 2023. And I said, No, I have no idea what you're talking about. So she t- she was so excited to tell me about him. So I've done research. So that's who I decided to cover because he literally was just caught this year. And he is the Long Island serial killer. 
And that is so funny because I have no idea who this person is. I have heard nothing about it. And in the year 2023, I feel like the concept of like new serial killers isn't a thing that happens. I mean, technically he's not new, but like, but he was found. Sure. But I feel like everything happened in so long ago where it's just, it almost doesn't seem real, if that makes sense, because it was before our lifetime in in a lot of these instances. So the fact that it's someone who's living, breathing in our time, Mm -hmm. that's very cool. So I'm definitely curious to hear more about it. Well, let me tell you about it. Okay. Okay. So like I said, this is the coverage of the Long Island serial killer. So the Gilgo Beach killings happened between 1996 and 2011, in which time the bodies of 11 or 18, depending on which sort you look at, victims had been found on Gilgo Beach, which is located on the south shore of Long Island, New York. This one was a little difficult just because I, I know nothing about New York, and I'm going to botch some of the pronunciations of the places, but otherwise... Like Gilgo, I just keep thinking... Bilbo Baggins? Oh, I was thinking dildo. <laughs> <laughs> Bilbo is probably a better... Okay, pop quiz. What's Bilbo Baggins from? Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking loser. (laughs) All right. So the first discovery of human remains were located on December 11th, 2010 by the side of Ocean Parkway in Oak Beach. Got it. Police had been searching for 24-year-old Shannon Gilbert, who had disappeared in that area about seven months prior in May 2010 after she fled from a client's home and was seen banging on a neighbor's door asking for help. A client? What did she do? You'll, you'll find out. Okay. She somehow made it a 23-minute 911 phone call, basically saying they're trying to kill me and begging for help. A month after Gilbert's disappearance, the Suffolk County Police Department's Missing Persons Bureau, I know it's a fucking mouthful, asked Officer John Malia to conduct an area search with his cadaver dog named Blue. Oh. Malia was unable to find any remains and researched the area on December 11th, 2010, so a couple months later, this time staying close to the shoulder of the parkway due to data provided by the FBI explaining that dump bodies are frequently found near roadways. Oh, this is just, this is a thing that happens. That's cool. During that new search on December 11th, Blue alerted to a scent and Malia discovered a skeleton inside of a disintegrated burlap bag. Interesting. Those remains were later identified as belonging to Melissa Bartholomew, I have a quick side quest question. So in the year 2023, which we are currently existing, people are terrible. I trust no one. So if someone in your neighborhood was to come screaming, banging on your door saying, I need help. I I need help. Would you open that fucking door or would you call the cops? What would you do in that situation? Me personally? Yeah, I want to know. So I look at my camera to see, I have multiple cameras. So I look at my front camera to see who it was. If it was a male, a female, if they look like they were actually in distress, I would check my other cameras to see if there was anyone else hanging out on my driveway, a car I didn't recognize on my street, something like that. And then if it seemed legit, I always lock my ghetto gate so I can open my normal door and they still, you know, I couldn't get ambushed or something. And I would ask them what's going on. And if they said they needed help or something, I would say, cool, stay there. And I would call the police while still talking to them. I wouldn't let them in my house. Okay, perfect. What about you? I You would just ignore them. (laughs) Shut the blinds. (laughs) 
I mean, the the millennial <laughs> reaction in me, we were scarred as children. I know, I know. Don't ever open the door for anyone other than mom or dad. I know. And I'm a parent. Usually I'm at home with Gracie. Evan's not always with me. And so we're actually really bad. I should probably keep my door locked more frequently. <laughs> but if someone were to like bang on my door, I would. And I would have a gun in my hand. I forgot. Uh, I would panic in that moment. I uh, would not remember the code to get to any of the, <laughs> the guns in the home. So I would probably just immediately call the cops. That's and be like, fine. What the fuck? Or I would call you. Not that that's going <laughs> to matter soon, but <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but yeah, fun. I would be like, there's, there's, there's something happening. And that is a known tactic right now for robberies. They'll have usually a female come to the door right. saying that they need help. And as soon as you open the door, two to five other men will ambush you in your home. Right. And I don't currently have a setup where I would have visibility of things yeah. at the front of the house, which is actually the, the back of the house, the front of the house. Side, the, the side yeah, of the house weird. is a little weird. Um, and that's part of the reason that we want that gate, um, that gate up yeah. front is to restrict access to the house, period. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I just, I am so distrusting of people that I feel like it would maybe be something like that. And so and I have a kid. I don't want to put anything at risk. So and there's I, no harm of just saying, cool, I called no the cops, cops for you. Yeah, that's totally acceptable. Right? Okay. I was just curious. Continue. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about the first body that was discovered. So Melissa, as I mentioned, she was 24 years old and she lived in Bronx, New York and worked as a sex worker through Craigslist. Never met a Melissa I liked. And that makes sense. The client. Bro, me thing. neither. Yeah. She was four foot ten and ninety five pounds. Fun fact. Oh, so she's a tiny little thing. That's like borderline. That that's almost that's under four eleven. I'm is. like that's kind of kink level there. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll find a theme on height and weight on the victims. So oh, there's a type. There's Got a type. It. Yes. So on July twelfth, two thousand nine, Melissa had met with a new client, deposited nine hundred dollars into her bank account, and then attempted to call an old boyfriend. Starting one week after Melissa had gone missing, her teenage sister, Amanda, started receiving series of vulgar, mocking, and insulting phone calls from Melissa's cell phone by a man believed to be her abductor. Great role model. I mean, you do what you got to do, but for your young sister. I know. So she had gone missing. They had reported her as missing. And then her little sister is getting all of these texts. Phone calls from from her sister's phone number. So she's answering, but it's the guy. Is it someone spoofing or is it from her actual phone? No, it's from her. It's from her actual phone and it's from her abductor. Oh, no. The man asked Amanda if she was, quote, a whore like her sister, end quote. The calls continued and the male caller ended up telling Amanda that her sister was dead and he was going to, quote, watch her rot, end quote. Police were able to trace some of the phone calls from Melissa's cell phone to Madison Square Garden, Midtown Manhattan, and this is the part I'm going to fuck up on, Massapequa. That's close enough. But we were unable to find the man that was making the calls. Got it. Melissa's mother had told police that there were a lot of calls to Manorville made from Melissa's phone around the time of her disappearance. So her parents still paid for her cell phone, is what I gathered for that. Yeah, she's only 24, man. Okay, I mean, I guess that's fair. After police had found Melissa's body, three additional bodies were discovered, all within approximately 500 feet of one another, while doing a more thorough search of the area. 500 feet is not that great of a distance, like... 
just a pile of bodies, it yeah. sounds like. So these four bodies or four women were referred to as the Gilgo Four because they were found on Gilgo Beach. Got it. The three additional women were identified later as Maureen Brainerd, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. I thought they were all going to have M names, too, because that was three of four. Ooh, no, no, that's just a coincidence. Fucking Amber, man. So now I'm going to kind of break down each individual person. So okay. first, we're going to start with Maureen. She was 25 years old and from Norwich, Connecticut. She was a mother of two and worked as a sex worker via Craigslist. Okay. She had left a business for approximately seven months, but she returned to help pay her bills after receiving an eviction notice. So she was in the life, got out, had zero fucking money, and decided to go in just to, to kind of cover her bills. Got it. She was four foot 11 and 110 pounds. So, so far, common theme, tiny ladies, sex workers. Yes. Got sex it. workers through Craigslist. Oh, okay. The Craigslist specific part. You can't trust anything on Craigslist. Bro, Craigslist is fucking I mean, creepy. one of the best jobs I ever had I got off Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> as a sex worker? <laughs> Not as a sex worker. Working in operations for an IT company, which then led me to my current career as a financial advisor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just follow that thread. But Continue. All right. So Maureen was last seen on July 9th, 2007, after saying she was going to spend the day in New York City. In the evening, she called a friend in Connecticut and told her she was planning on meeting a client outside of the Super 8 Motel in Manhattan. Shortly after Maureen's disappearance, her friend Sarah Carnes received a phone call from an unknown number. The man on the phone told Sarah that he had just seen Maureen alive and stated she was staying at, quote, a whorehouse in Queens. The man was unable to tell Sarah where this whorehouse was and stated he would call back with an address, but he never did. Liar! Sarah stated that the man that called did not have a discernible New York or Boston accent, which so is not very prevalent. Yeah. Got it. Megan Waterman. She was 22 years old and from West Babylon, New York. She was a mother of one and worked as a Craigslist escort. She was 5'5 five five and an unknown weight. So she's a little bit taller. 5'5. Five five. That's my height. I haven't been on Craigslist in years. <laughs> on June 6, 2010, she had placed an ad on Craigslist and she had been staying in a motel near Happy. Hapagage, New York. So sorry, New Yorkers. And that was 15 miles from Gilgo Beach. One day prior to her disappearance on June 5th, 2010, she told her 20-year-old boyfriend that she was going out and she would call him later. But unfortunately, she never did. Amber Costello. She was a 27-year-old from Charlotte, North Carolina. She had been sexually assaulted by a neighbor when she was six years old and had been a strong student prior to becoming addicted to drugs, specifically heroin, as a teenager. Well, that's sad. I know. After leaving her second husband in Clearwater, Florida, she moved to West Babylon, New York, where she worked as a sex worker and still battled her heroin addiction. She was four foot eleven and 100 pounds. Hmm. On September 2nd, 2010, Amber went to meet a man who called multiple times and offered to pay her $1,500 for her services. Her family had believed Amber was in a residential drug rehab center, so she was not immediately reported as missing when she stopped communicating with the family. But now we're going to talk about some additional found victims. In addition to the four ladies. Yes. Got it. On March 29th, 2011, partial remains of 20-year-old Jessica Taylor were found along Ocean Parkway. The remains were of her skull, hands, and forearm. Eight years later, on July 26, 2003, Jessica's naked and dismembered torso was discovered over a sheet of plastic atop a pile of scrap wood, missing her head and hands from Manorville, New York. Manorville was about 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach. 
So still relatively local. Yeah. Uh, she had a tattoo on her body that had been mutilated by a sharp object. Jessica had been living in Manhattan and was a sex worker, and she went missing on July 21st, 2003, five days before her partial remains were found. On April 4th, 2011, three additional sets of remains were found off the parkway near Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach. The remains were of an unidentified female toddler, a.k.a. Baby Doe, an unidentified Asian male, and 24-year-old Valerie Mack. So the Asian male's a twist. He fits in later. Was he also a sex worker? Okay, we'll get, uh, to we'll get to him now. Okay. So oh. Baby Doe was estimated to be between one and four years old. Oh, my God. And she was found 250 feet away from Valerie Mack. Baby Doe's body was found wrapped in a blanket and had no signs of trauma. Thank God. But, I mean, she's still dead. I know. She had been wearing a gold necklace and gold earrings. Okay, so now Valerie Mack, who Baby Doe was found 250 feet away from, she was 24 years old and had been living in Philadelphia and working as an escort. She was 5 foot and 100 pounds. Valerie had gone missing in 2000. Just like Jessica Taylor, partial remains of Valerie had been found on November 19, 2000 in Manorville. Her torso was found wrapped in trash bags and dumped in the woods near the intersection of Halsey Manor Road and Mills Road. So for both of these people... Part of their remains were located a certain year, and then multiple years had passed before the rest of their remains Just had been found in a different area. Yeah. That's a lot of, like, body parts to keep track of. It is, honestly. On April 4th, 2011, approximately 11 years after finding her torso, Valerie's head, right foot, and hands were discovered. Her right foot had been cut off high above the ankle, possibly to conceal a tattoo or identifying marks. That makes sense. I'm sorry. The reason for the stifled laugh is as you're describing this, I don't know if you've seen like the TikToks or the, the reels describing the girls who like to watch true crime documentaries where they're happiest laying on the couch. Her legs. Were oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Her arms. <laughs> yeah. <were> <laughs> Yes. So fucked up, but it's so true. It is. All right. Two additional bodies were found on Nassau County, also on April 4th of 2011. So we're at least 20 some odd years for the span because body parts were found in 2000. So it's from 1996 to 2011. Oh, even more. Damn. That's a long, long time. It's not that the killings were active that whole time. It's, it's that sprinkling of it's body that they kept being found later and later. Yeah. Were they preserved? No. So they're just in like random states of decomposition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so as I stated, two additional bodies were found in Nassau County on April 4, 2011. 34-year-old Karen Vergata and an unknown African-American woman nicknamed Peaches. Karen Vergata was a 34-year-old woman from Manhattan where she worked as a sex worker. On April 20th, 1996, her severed legs were found in trash bags on Fire Island, and 15 years later, on April 4th, her skull and several teeth were found on Tobey Beach. I don't want to minimize anything that you just said. Quick side quest thought again. Is Fire Island a real place? Because I always thought it was just this, like... That documentary, the, the place for the gays. No, that's a real place. It is? Yeah. It, what, the- so I only know it from the last season of American Horror Story. Okay. It was like all gay men and the, the killer was like this big bondage dude. And they would they were on Fire Island. For some reason. And it was all gay men, but I had never specifically heard of it. Okay, so it is real. It, it is there a 
a higher likelihood that the inhabitants of Fire Island are homosexual beings? Is that is that true? Or I don't know. I didn't look into it. I was just curious. Okay. I was under the impression that that place was just not real. No, it's, it is real. Oh, okay. I just don't know the sexual orientation of it. <laughs> the the member connotation might not be accurate. And it also might be misremembering or weaving in a memory from well, if they had a 30 rocks. Well, if they had that, that was the whole premise of American Horror Story, that it's all gay men that were being so then killed. Probably, I feel like it's got to be somewhat realistic. Sorry for the digression. Back. To That's the okay. Number. So Peaches, or Jane Doe number three, was an unknown aged African-American female. Her torso had been found on June 20th, 1997, inside of a green plastic rubberband container next to a road in Hampstead Lake State Park in the town of Lakeview, New York. Peaches had a tattoo on her left breast of a heart-shaped peach with a bite taken out of it and two drips falling from its core. That's her nickname. In 2016, DNA testing was able to confirm that Peaches was Baby Doe's mom. Oh, so it's not the the woman that she was found next to. She was also found. Oh, next she was Yeah, in I haven't got pile. Correct. She was only two hundred and fifty feet away, or something. Got it. Because I I was thinking it was the lady with the K. What was her name? Karen Vergata. Oh, okay, that's so. Yeah, Karen Baby Doe Peaches and together. the Asian male were all kind of found together on this second outing. Slash search. And Peaches was the mama. Peaches was Baby Doe's mom. Mm. On April 11th, 2011, police found more dismembered skeletal remains of Peaches inside of a plastic bag near Jones Beach State Park. She had been found wearing gold jewelry similar to the jewelry found on her daughter, Baby Doe. Lastly, the body of an unidentified Asian male had been found on April 11th as well. The victim had been found wearing women's clothing. Mm -hmm. It was possibly a transgender woman. Gotcha. The victim was between 17 and 23 years old and was five foot six with an unknown weight. The male had died from blunt force trauma. He I, wasn't dismembered. I think it was just he, I think he it thought was it was a, a woman. Yeah. And then he oh, just he just died. Yeah. Or got killed. That's sad. It is. But at least he didn't get cut off. He and he wasn't assaulted. He wasn't yeah. any of that. But I mean, you're dead. I'm sorry. I know. So those were all the victims. Like I said, there are more. Victims that are potential to this specific killer, but nothing that's been... These are the confirmed ones. Yes. So now we're going to talk about the police investigation. In June of 2011, Suffolk County Police announced a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest of the Long Island murders. On November 29th, 2011, police announced that they believed one person was responsible for all 10 murders, and they believed the perpetrator was almost certainly from Long Island. On December 10th, 2015, the Suffolk County Police Commissioner announced that the FBI had officially joined in on the investigation. The FBI had previously assisted in the searches of victims, but it had never been officially part of the investigation. And there was a little blurb about the police commissioner was arrested um, and charged for various crimes. And it's believed that he was intentionally keeping the FBI out. He didn't want to invite them in for whatever reason. But this story is not about him, so I didn't really go into it. Got it. On September 12th, 2017, Suffolk County Prosecutor Robert Bianca Villa stated he believed a convicted murderer, John Bitroloff, so we're just going to call him John B., had committed some of the Galgo Beach murders. John B. was arrested in 2014 after his DNA was found on the bodies of two female sex workers. He was convicted in May 2017 for those two murders. Some reasons that Robert Bianca Villa believed John B. to be responsible was because he lived in Manorville. 
He was a hunter who was said to have enjoyed killing animals. And people. And people. The most dangerous game. He was a carpenter with access to hacksaws and electrical saws, and those tools very well could have been used to dismember the found bodies. Well, considering the volume of bodies, that's a lot of breaking down that you need to do. And he was convicted of killing two sex workers. I mean, that too. (laughs) Also, one of John B.'s victim's daughters, so the victim of John B., their daughter, was best friends with Melissa Bartholomew, the one of the Gilgo Beach Four. And Melissa's mother had previously mentioned that Melissa had a lot of calls to Manorville from her phone prior to her disappearance. Oh, and John B. was from Manorville. Yeah. But now we're going to talk about suspect numero uno. Okay. July 13th, 2023, 59-year-old architect Rex Andrew Hewerman was arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of second-degree murder related to the deaths of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello, three of the four Gilgo Four victims. They contest one of the, the victims as belonging to the murder, so she is not actually in any of this. Oh, okay. Rex is also the prime suspect in Maureen Brainerd's murder. So Rex lived most of his life in Massapeka Park on Long Island and worked in Manhattan since 1987. Rex was first on police radar in March of 2022 after a witness reported seeing a Chevy Avalanche pickup truck near the area where one of the victims had disappeared. That's a crime, by the way. I know those things are so fucking ugly. And Rex happens to have a Chevy Avalanche registered to him. Shocker. If you remembered, Megan Waterman's remains were found inside of a burlap sack. Yes. Police had found a male hair on the burlap sack and preserved it as evidence. In January of 2023, police went through Rex's trash cans and found a pizza box containing uneaten crust, which is a crime. That is too. Crust is the best fucking part of pizza. It's the best part. DNA was tested against the crust, and it was found that it was a match to the male hair found on the burlap sack. This shit is crazy to me, and this is why I loved CSI when it first came out. I know. The whole concept that you can do shit like that was so interesting, Mm -hmm. and I love technology sometimes. It is pretty cool. Police then later seized Rex's cell phone billing records and found that he had been in contact with three of the four victims by using a number of phones to arrange meetings with the three of the victims, as well as making the taunting phone calls to Melissa Bartholomew's teenage sister. Mm, Police also found an email account linked to Rex and found that he conducted thousands of online searches related to sex workers, torture, sadism. Torture-related pornography, the Long Island serial killer, images of the victims and their families, and the investigations process. So, uh, from what I've gathered, incognito mode will not keep that suppressed. I don't so even just, know if you win it on incognito mode. I'm just mode. saying. Just Good Google, to know. <laughs> Google accordingly. <laughs> Rex has pleaded not guilty to his crimes and is currently awaiting trial. Since Rex's arrest, many individuals have come forward to share stories and experiences with him. Two sex workers reported that they had violent interactions with Rex decades ago, and co-workers told a story about how Rex stalked and hunted her and found her while she was on a cruise that she had purposefully not told him the location of. The fuck? Rex has been married for over 25 years and has two children. It has been reported that the wife and children were out of state at the time of the killings and were said to have taken place... And his wife filed for a divorce shortly after Rex was arrested. I would certainly hope so. Like, I know. Strands of female hair not belonging to the victims had been found on or near the victim's body, and it's speculated that the hair belonged to Rex's wife. 
But again, mm-hmm. investigators have ruled her and the children and out. She was out. And they believed it was strictly through transfer that, you know, they live together, they hug, whatever. Her hair, hair is on is his. everywhere. I know. My hair is in Alex's ass crack all day or day. So it kind of transferred onto the bodies. And then Rex's trial began on August 1st, 2023, and is still currently ongoing. Wow. Yeah. So more to be seen. More to be seen. But according to the prosecution's case, they have like slam dunk evidence and wow. years and years and years worth of evidence proving that he was involved with all of these different murders. And all of the developments and what kind of evidence that can be utilized and, you know, using it from stuff collected years ago. That's so cool. Yeah. Interesting. So serial killer for the ages, Mm -hmm. so to speak. That is good job. Like that. I remember seeing kind of stuff in passing as I would like pull up the the headlines, but Mm -hmm. it's not something that I was familiar with. So I didn't actually like read any of it. Recognize his face. I remember the the name Gilgo Beach. And I'm like, that's fucking weird. And I just assumed it was in Florida. That's another thing. Don't be a sex worker. Dude, it's fucking hard not being a sex worker. general like for them (laughs) i have no experience with that that, but like you're trying to fucking pay your bills and pay your fucking rent and like a life i but dude it's rough because you're like one of the number one most preyed upon because you're you're considered you're so vulnerable because you're considered dispensable by some people you're less likely to be believed if you want to report a crime and it's it's common abuse and these sorts of things are common. Girls talk to each other. They try to let each other know, like, hey, don't go on a date with that guy. Right. He's got a history. He beat me up. He did whatever. But it's because you're not humanized. In that. No, you not are at all. a vessel. Yeah. Which so is- it, it is rough. But I mean, if you want to be a killer, it's a great option because you're going to get away with it for so much longer than you would anyone else with a normal profession. But that is true. So who did you cover? Okay. So for my mini profile of a serial killer, the famed killer that I chose today is one is actually the first one that I was really ever exposed to. Like I had alluded to previously, I started my fascination very, very early in life. And that was because I spent a good deal of time lurking in Borders bookstores <laughs> and the library and RIP to Borders, by the way. Dude, Borders was the tits. Oh my God, I spent so much time there. I and would run away from Boys and Girls Club and hang out there. Because it was right there. It was. It was great. They had snacks. They had books. You can just chill. And I just, I didn't know you weren't supposed to just read the books and then put them back when you were done. Because but I would come every library. week and I, w- I would finish a book. But I only read inappropriate books. Absolutely. I read Ron Jeremy's How to Fuck with oh, a Porn sure. Star. Because let's be real, the stuff that you can find at Borders, you're not really going to be able to get at the public library. No. And also, if you like check that out, there's going to be a record of it. Right. Jenna Jameson, she had a book. Oh, yeah. I read The Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six. Oh. It's a good time. Okay, so I used my time in Borders to read about serial killers. Okay. So that's kind of how... Mom I- bought me books on serial killers. Well, graduated to that once I started showing an interest Uh but I was like 11 or 12 like reading about this stuff so the the first one that I vividly remember reading about and be like what the actual was Albert Fish do you have any idea who this man is was he a pedophile I mean that's part of it okay was he fat no then no I don't actually think I know him so for those of you you included that are unaware Albert Fish was a known serial killer 
rapist, child molester, and cannibal. Oh, okay. So, you know, all around good guy. Yeah. Some of the monikers that were used for him were the gray man, the Brooklyn vampire, the werewolf of Wisteria, and the moon maniac. No idea. I have not heard one of these names. So some backstory sure. on Mr. Fish. He was born in 1870. Okay, he's old. <laughs> and he was born as Hamilton Howard Fish in Washington, D.C. His parents had a borderline criminal relationship, being that his father was 75 when he was born. And his mother was 43 years younger than his father at that time. How old does that make the mom? 32. But Albert was the youngest of five children. Jesus! <laughs> One of which was deceased. Oh. <laughs> uh, Albert spent much of his time at an orphanage. His father ended up dying of a heart attack when he was five years old. His dad was 80 at that time. So, yeah. so that's like not surprising, but he was like still working. So okay. he just kind of dropped dead and not in the field, but on the job. In the 1800s, living in, into your 80s, yeah, that's, that's like a big accomplishment. It is, yeah. His mom had no fucks to give, though, and was like, I am not about raising all of these kids by myself. Uh, so she handed him over to an orphanage where he earned the nickname Ham and Eggs because his name was Hamilton. Okay. And given his unfortunate name, he decided to go by Albert later on, which was actually the name of his deceased brother. So he just essentially, like, assumed his identity. That's a little weird, but okay. <laughs> so weird. At least, like, make up a name. Like, a cool name. Right? So the Fish family overall was just a big old poster child for mental illness. Oh, okay. With many of aunts, uncles, siblings being afflicted, including his mother, who suffered from auditory and visual hallucinations. Okay. Fish himself was a little off from an early age as well. While he was in the aforementioned orphanage, he was regularly physically abused. And he actually started to derive some enjoyment from the pain that he was experiencing from being beaten. Okay. Which, I mean, as a kid, he was like five, six years old. That's like really young to have that kind of kink develop. But, yeah. you know. His mom eventually... Fun fact. Yeah. Between the ages of like three and eight or, or some somewhere around there, that is when you are developing your love map. What the fuck is a love map? I don't know if that's a technical term of it, but basically that's when you... Because obviously that's usually when your childhood trauma is going to happen. If you're going to be sexually abused, physically abused, mentally abused, it's usually within that sort of time frame. But during that age frame is when you kind of establish in your brain and through your perception what a normal relationship is. What you see is kind of what you... Accept as... Yeah, so let's say you see mom and dad hugging and kissing, being very nice and affectionate. That's going to be put on your love map as a place that you want to go. And then let's say you are like a year later and your parents are now beating each other or your dad's beating your mom. And that's something you see all the time that gets imprinted on your love map. So all these things that you're taking in at a very young age is imprinted and that is what makes up your love map. And that's when you get older is what you perceive love as. That's what you get sexually aroused from that's what you get gratification from that's how you think relationships should be and you can't change it oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact <laughs> so maybe like hug your husband more right I'm like, your kid's already fussed <laughs> i'm like oh my god like as i'm sitting here thinking like we show her a lot of affection like mm -hmm. there's a lot of love that yeah. is exchanged with her but 
but that's okay. But it's like, so that's why <laughs> I love my husband, but we are not, we're not affectionate, affectionate by nature. But that's why like kids that are sexually abused very young usually become abusers because that has been imprinted on their love map that uh, older people love younger people. And that is, that's how love is expressed. So they have no choice, but to, that's just imprinted in the brain. So at worst, my kid's going to be a cat when she gets older. That's fine. But I mean, she knows what love is. Jesus. But anywho, yeah. So he liked getting spanked and then some mm-hmm. from very early on. So as I was saying, his mom eventually got her shit together, got a job, and got him out of the orphanage, okay. allowing him to have a normal life that any 12-year-old boy would have at that point. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Right? Okay, and that's cool. the end of his happy story. No. Um, so 12, he ended up starting up a relationship with a, a telegraph boy. Remember, this is the 1800s. So it's like, like a paper boy? No, a telegraph. Do you know what a telegraph? No, a telegraph. It's essentially like someone hand delivering a piece of mail. Like I have a message. Like for a you. carrier pigeon? <laughs> kind of. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> a boy who sent off the pigeons. <laughs> Sorry, that threw me. I, I did not know what you meant. <laughs> so funny. Anywho, he started up this relationship. So a young. Okay. So he's gay. Okay. Young gay relationship. And they were introducing each other to a whole new world. One that included questionable practices. Such and I'm as, sorry, you said he was 12? He was 12. Okay. And the boy was of a similar age. And so they started experimenting together, exploring things. And these practices included uh, drinking urine and eating literal shit. So there were technical terms for them, but I couldn't pronounce them. So I didn't feel like adding them in. Um, But it... You know, that's just like the tip of the iceberg because it just gets way, way, way. It's all downhill from here and there. And there is no positives like at all in this guy's story. Okay. (laughs) Seatbelt. As a young man, he had relocated to New York City. So about 20s or so. And uh, while he was there, he served as a male prostitute who also on the side liked to molest and rape young boys. And when I say young, I mean like young like kindergarten age like four or five year olds below and so at that point he was still tethered to his mom and she thought that it would probably be in his best interest if he like got his shit together and just settled down and married a nice young lady and um he begrudgingly obliged her wishes and through an arranged marriage married a woman named anna mary hoffman who was nine years younger than he was okay so i mean he was 20 or so so she was a child yeah and they went on to have six children together the only bit of good news is that there is no record or accounting of him abusing his own kids okay that's something his wife actually ended up leaving him they had a handyman who had been living in the house to pay rent and stuff she and yeah, i'm did. sure she recognized that her husband's fucking freak and was like or gay or gay or any <laughs> any of the any the, of the questionable yeah. thing and so she left him and took everything that they owned except for the kids and left him to you know rock the single dad life lovely jesus <laughs> So with that, I think we're going to pivot to all of the awful, crazy shit that Mr. Albert Fish did. Alrighty. So we are going to start with 19-year-old Thomas Bedden. When Fish was 40, so we're fast forwarding, we kind of glaze over essentially the upbringing and life of his children mm-hmm. because it seemed relatively normal. Normal. Okay. 
quote unquote normal. So he really started to hit a stride when he hit that midlife crisis uh-huh. that most men are prone to. Mm-hmm. And so at the age of 40, he struck up a relationship with Betton, who again was 19 years old. So more than half his age. Yeah. He met him while he was working in Delaware. And according to Fish's confession, so all of this is firsthand accounting. He's confessed to all of the awful, awful things that he's done. So this is where all of this information's come from. Okay. So according to Fish, the two of them had engaged in a sadomasochistic relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was stated that Bedin was also intellectually disabled. Okay. So that will become a common theme okay. in his, you know, choice of victims. After about a week and a half of romping around with his little boy toy, Fish thought it would be prudent to spice things up a bit. And brought him to an old farmhouse where he proceeded to torture this poor kid over a two-week period, <sighs> culminating in fish tying Thomas up and um, lopped off half his dick. <gasps> <laughs> Just half. He stated that he had actually planned on killing this guy and he wanted to cut up the body, take it home and probably eat it at that point. But he thought better of it because it was like the summertime and he thought with the heat, it it would get him away and he would draw too much attention. So he decided not to go that course. But instead of putting this poor kid who's missing half his dick out of his misery at this point, he instead poured peroxide over the wound. Oh, my God. uh, Wrapped it up in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, gave him a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye on his way out, and left him for God knows what. The outcome of what happened to poor Thomas is unknown. He's like, I I don't know what happened. I didn't bother to look into it. I just knew that I needed to hop a train out of town and good riddance. So... I mentioned before that his wife left him. Can't mm-hmm. imagine why. It was at this time that he began experiencing auditory hallucinations okay. himself, like his, his mom. mom and others in their family. So at this point, he started doing a bunch of weird shit. These kinds of things that he was doing, indulging in self-harm. Okay. And when you think of self-harm, a lot of people like cut themselves or, you know, they have other ways of, of doing it that are less extreme. He enjoyed shoving needles into his gut and his groin. When he was arrested years later, they actually took x-rays and found 29 needles in his pelvic section. Wow. So when I was 12 or whatever, this is the first thing that I have ever really experienced. There was pictures of the x-ray <laughs> and I vividly remember seeing that. I'm like, oh my God, what am I looking at? And so that is what sparked the initial fascination because it was legitimate morbid curiosity Yeah, because I was just so guffawed at what I was seeing. And um, yeah, the fact that there was the actual images of the x-rays and it was, it was very crowded. (laughs) Yeah. 25 is a lot. Yeah. As a side note, some of the other fun activities that he would partake in included hitting himself repeatedly with a nail studded paddle (sighs) and shoving lighter fluid soaked wool into his ass and lighting it on fire, turning himself into like a candle. (laughs) I have no words. (laughs) That that one uh that one let through you for a loop. It did. Right. <laughs> That's choice. <laughs> All of the wrong choices. Okay. So his activity started to ramp up as he got okay. older. Okay. So we're like 
the forties right now. I feel like like he's forty years old. Yeah, I feel like it keeps spitting on you. Not no, we're st- we're in the early nineteen hundreds. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, so he was making it a point to seek out either mentally disabled people or black people because he felt that those are the people that are least likely to have people looking for them oh, to okay. be investigated if they were to go missing. Okay. So just like the least likely to be missed. Just like prostitutes in my case. Right. I imagine Thanksgivings with him would be awful. You think that one like racist uncle that's going off about, you know, this type of person uh-huh. or that. So I can only imagine. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> let's be honest. Not, unless he's preparing a young boy as the turkey. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, So his attention was drawn primarily to young children, as I had mentioned, and he does gravitate more towards males than Mm -hmm. females. He took joy in torturing, mutilating, and murdering them uh, using what he referred to as his implements of hell, which were a meat cleaver, a butcher's knife, and a small handsaw. The, the face I don't make. I'm not a torture person. I I know. It's so awful. (laughs) So some kids, he only molested along the way. So they got off kind of easy. He did attempt to lure a couple of them like back to his place with some nefarious intentions. Mm -hmm. Of the few, there were some that were like, uh, hold up. This is a bad situation. I'm going to get out of here. And so that luckily didn't come to fruition. But he was successful shortly after in getting consent from the parents of a 10-year-old girl named Grace Bud. Under false pretenses, he had kind of come into contact with his family. And he's like, oh, I'm going to my niece's birthday party. She's about the same age as your daughter. Can I take her with me? And they're like, sure, you know, have a great time. Just based on your reaction, I'm sure you can gather that they did not, in fact, make it to a party. I would assume not. He ended up taking her to an abandoned house that he had pre-planned to use for his next murder. Mm. Whoever the victim was going to be, that was going to be the location. And it was at this house that he ended up strangling her to death. Post-mortem, he then decapitated and dismembered the body and over the course of nine days ate the entire body of this young girl. And because he is just such considerate guy he ended up actually sending a letter to the girl's mom detailing the events of what took place how nice of him and the only good thing to come of that to sidetrack for a second his mom was illiterate and couldn't read so she actually had to have her older son so this grace grace's brother read the letter oh her mom was illiterate yeah her mom was illiterate okay so she got this letter she's like i can't read it johnny boy oh my gosh he's like ha ha you said i could take your child guess what i hate her but he did specify in the letter that he did not violate her sexually because he likes men but he's like i could have if i wanted to but you should know that she at least died a virgin but i ate every morsel of her tender flesh like oh god the only good thing that came of it was the letter ended up leading to his capture oh nice yes did you like the envelope it was the early 1900s dna was not a thing so it was actually based on the stationery that was used it was recognized by someone else and they they ended up tracing it back to him okay so it it was this kind of circumvention but it, it ended up bringing him into you know custody okay so there is there is that 
So while he was detained, he just kind of open book, you know, you got me. I might as well just confess to all of my transgressions. Let me give you every gory detail since what else am I going to do? So uh, Albert Fish is believed to have killed at least three children and was a suspect in at least a dozen other murders. He himself claimed to have sexually assaulted at least 100 boys. Jesus. And also asserted that he had murdered a child in each of the 23 states that he had lived in. But like I said, only three were confirmed, and then he was only suspected of a couple others. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's insistent that he did way worse. Okay. He was tried for murder in the case of Grace Bud. Uh-huh. So that's the one that brought him in, essentially. And it was very apparent that he was not all there okay. upstairs. But the jury recognized that he was a monster and a piece of shit. And so instead of finding him not guilty, you know, with an insanity plea, mm-hmm. they found him sane and guilty because they Perfect. wanted him to face execution. Okay. And he died by execution via the electric care at Sing Sing Prison on January 16th, sorry, Dad, of 1936. Oh, yeah. that is so that huh? is before your time. So that is the story of Albert Fish. Interesting. I had not heard any of that. Yeah, that was, like I said, what kickstarted. That's a terrible thing. And really, what sealed the deal was that fucking x-ray picture of a pelvis with just needles jammed in. And I'm like, what the fuck? Because it wasn't even a victim. It was himself. Yeah. Well, good thing you didn't see that when you were younger, because then you would have a weird love map. Yeah. And, you know, a few years prior. Was he abused as a child in the orphanage? He was physically abused, but not sexually Hmm, abused. That's interesting. Yeah. So it was like, as he was being beaten in the orphanage, he's like, oh, this sucks. But like, hey, I kind of like it. Yeah. And then coupled with the fact that there's some mental illness there, it just blossomed into this horror story. But if you were to Google, you could see pictures. He's this gaunt old man and he was in his i want to say late 70s when he died maybe early 80s but yeah like the breadth of his career primarily took place in his later years yeah which is pretty gross like he started dipping a toe when he was young and it just kind of snowballed as time went on the faces that you have made oh (laughs) this is so funny (laughs) i mean it's not but it is yeah Huh. Yeah, so that was the first. We have just scratched the surface. There is a, some, unfortunately, a giant pool of people to choose from. So for the next quarterly killers, killers quarterly, whatever you want to call you it, like. episode. Yeah, who knows who we'll choose. We have. I don't know. Hopefully, we get some like suggestions because obviously, if you give a suggestion, we'll probably cover it. But yeah, I'm like, I have a couple that I have a personal interest in. In. But mm-hmm. yeah, we we love feedback. So. Yeah. And speaking of feedback. Yeah. So if you wanted to reach out to us, give us a killer that you want us to cover or an episode topic for one of our normal episodes, you can reach us on Instagram, Crack Sisters Conspiracies. That's where we do probably 99% of our communications. We have a Twitter and (laughs) Facebook that we don't use, but it's there. We have an email, CrackedSistersConspiracies at gmail.com. Should you want to send us an email just to say hi, that would be really fun. We also have a Patreon that none of you use where you can donate a dollar to us. You can see what we look like. We're hopefully going to have a 
fucking TikTok, TikTok that's on Miss Cassandra here yeah. is dragging her feet. So oh, well, it's not my fault that my husband grenaded the computer yet. Again. Oh, that's true. He I mean, we do have a whole bunch of stuff saved in the cloud, so I can put some snippets on there okay. from past episodes. But hopefully, you'll be able to see little bits and clips, and maybe that will garner your attention and make you want to see more and give us a dollar. Yes. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, with that, stay correct, y'all. Don't and kill anyone. And have a great day.